Good morning. If you'll stand with me as you're coming in, as we begin this morning, we're going to turn in our hymn books and begin the new year with singing together hymn number 44, How Great Thou Art. Stand together with us if you're able, and let's sing together this morning.
Amen. You may be seated. It is so good to see everybody and have a, hope you had a wonderful break and we wish you a happy new year and we're off and running. You'll see in the bulletin, we have lots going on and we're ready to get the new year started and we have several announcements. I'll let you read through a lot of those, but let me first welcome you. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you chose to be here. There is a welcome card uh, there in the pew. Hopefully there's a blue card there somewhere. We'd love for you to fill that out. And when the offering plate comes by this morning or the basket, you can place that in there. Or if you'd rather just place it on one of the welcome tables as you leave today, we'd love to have a record of your visit. And that way we have a way to reach out to you. And if there's a way we can minister to you or your family, we would surely appreciate the opportunity to do that. Uh, for the rest of you, we have, hope you have a bulletin so you can follow along in the service. Uh, we don't want to just be up here and, and leading you. We want to be worshiping alongside you, so we want you to participate with us. Uh, you will see some of the announcements on the inside cover of the bulletin uh, with all that's coming up with the upcoming uh, women's Bible study, both on Zoom and in person. If you have questions, please call the office and we'll fill you in. But those will be starting this month, the men's in February. We do have the men's breakfast up and coming. Pastor David will be uh, sharing a testimony and, and talk with the, the men's group there on that breakfast. Um, and then also we have what's not in the bulletin, uh, installation service. As you all know, if you're new to Presbyterianism, when pastors are elected, they're installed by the presbytery. Uh, that's where we hold our accountability. And so every pastor that comes to a church has to be examined by the presbytery. And then they be installed, and so we have a commission set up on the 21st. So we invite you, please come, please fellowship with us on Sunday evening, the 21st at 6 p.m. We'll install Pastor David as our assistant pastor here in the church. Afterward, we'll do some finger foods. So let me clarify so all the kids and youth understand. Uh, we'll do a service up here. It's just a, it's an installation service, but if others want to be a part, they can, but if the children's and youth ministry just keep right on flowing, just know at seven when we're done, we'll go downstairs and have finger foods, and we'll invite the youth and the children and all those workers to obviously be a part to fellowship. That's where most of the fellowship will be, not up here. But we invite you to please put that on your calendar, the 21st, so that you can be a part of his installation service as well. And then lastly, let me say that's not in there, is the men's chorus. Uh, they're going to be working on another song to share with the church. And so today, men, if you're able, right after Sunday school, if you'll come upstairs long enough to meet with Carl and to get some instructions and things as they begin to plan and prepare for their next song. And so if you would like the men to sing again, say amen. amen. If you wish they'd stay away, say amen. amen. I was just checking, I knew. And the only people who said that were the men singing. <laughs> they, they don't want to be up there. Uh, we, we look forward to, to everyone who helps us in our service as well. Uh, but we'll let you uh, follow through the rest of the announcements. We do need help in Sunday school all the time. Someone else had asked about it. Uh, we're always needing someone to help with assistance. We always have people out this morning. If you're available to help in our preschool class, we could use your help as well. Stacy's filling in for Gay, uh, but Donna's out again. We have several that have been sick, so we need someone to help with Amanda. So if you're available, please go down, check the hallway as you're going down to Sunday school classes. And if no one steps in, it's always nice to have that second person we need in the classroom to help in case of things. So please help us if you're able to do that. Other than that, let me call us to worship. And so if you'll stand with me. We'll call ourselves to worship today from Psalm 42. And these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? 
Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to even confess our sins together, Lord, I pray that you'll just touch our hearts here this morning, that you'll be with us here in worship, that what we have to offer you only comes as a gift you've already given us, that we can give it back to you with an open heart and mind. As, you, as we learned here this morning, Lord, help us learn the importance of fixing our frail faith, that at the times we feel we falter, that, Lord, you're there to strengthen and encourage and remind us of where our true power comes from. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll continue with me this morning as we continue through worship and we go to, to lift our hearts and our voices, pray with me if you would as we share together one of those privileges of coming together before the throne of grace and asking the Lord for forgiveness. Pray with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And we find assurance of grace and pardon. Let me read it from Psalm the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You are here this morning to worship the God who has forgiven you, cleansed you, and made you ready in his presence. So let's share together as we sing from hymn 455, And Can It Be?
What a wonderful hymn on this first Sunday in uh, the new year and how we praise the Lord for his amazing grace. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me, for me? That is the gospel. As I mentioned to Suzette before we sang this, I said this is one of my favorite hymns, favorite hymns of all time. A marvelous hymn, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And bold we can approach the throne of grace to find help in time of need in Jesus Christ. And so let's go boldly before the throne of grace this morning and find help in time of need. Let's pray together as I lead us in prayer. Father, we do thank you for that amazing grace in Jesus Christ, your amazing love. How can it be, we ask, that you would save a wretch, a sinner like me? Indeed, Father, how we do praise you and thank you for your eternal love, your electing, choosing love of your children down through the ages and every generation. You have your church, your people. And she will continue mighty and strong above all nations and powers and principalities on this earth. The church of Jesus Christ will prevail because of his amazing grace and love for his people. Until you come to take us home when Christ comes again. We just celebrated the first advent, but Father, we look forward to the second advent the coming of Jesus Christ again to receive his church and we reign with him in glory on the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? How we thank you, Father, that indeed Jesus did and he came willingly leaving the throne of glory as Charles Wesley so put it, put it so well in that marvelous hymn. How we praise you and thank you on this Sunday morning, this Lord's Day, as we come together not only to hear the word, but Father, to break the bread and drink of the cup, remembering what Christ has done for us, spiritually feeding upon his body and blood. How we thank you, Father, by faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so we adore you. We praise you, we thank you, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, for your goodness toward us, unmerited and unfavored, except in Jesus Christ alone. And so we thank you, Father, and we praise you this morning. We bow our heads before you as the people of God, the chosen people of God, chosen not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus and what he has done in your electing love before the foundations of the world. And so we praise you and thank you on this Sunday morning. And Father, we come also in intercession, praying for the needs of our church members, many on beds of sickness and illness, others healed as well. We thank you, Father, for Bill and Kim's healing and for his condition as he stabilizes. We pray, Father, for Zach Gott, and we pray now as they look for ways to help him and understand the diagnosis and this later this month and what they'll be doing. We pray, Father, for Beth and Greg as well as her mom was called home. And we pray, Father, for your comforting spirit to be with her and Cindy also and her family. We pray for the service on Thursday 
that indeed Christ will be exalted, Robert's Savior will be exalted, the service will glorify you. Father, we pray also for Bobby Bell and the family of Lyle Bell, and uh, we lift them up before you as well. Father, for your comfort and your spirit to be with them, and for Van's son as well and family, we thank you for the service yesterday. And Father, we pray for autumn healing, for strength. We pray also, Father, for Mitzi and Charles and Ken and Marilyn. And Father, we pray for Dan and Sheila. And we pray for Joe Timmons. Father, for all these we lift up and Tom Alexander as well. We bring them before your throne of grace this morning, praying for healing, comfort, and strength. And for their caregivers as well, for those who are taking care of them through the strain and the difficulty of this. Indeed, Father, you are with them. And so we pray for them. We pray, Father, also for all those in authority over us in this nation, in this land. We pray for the president, the vice president, the congress, the governors, the legislatures. We pray, Father, for all in authority that we might live quietly and peaceably in this land to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to meet together peaceably and assemble to glorify Jesus and meet in worship and praise unto you. Father, we thank you for our homes and our families and our friends that we got to celebrate uh, the Christmas season with and that we're back together as a church family. And we thank you for the singing. We thank you for the choir, for all the volunteers, the staff, for Brother Jerry as he brings the message. We pray, Father, for all of them. We thank you for all that they do. And we give you the praise for the gifting and the skills that you've given so many we give you the glory and the honor and the praise for this new year. And we know, Father, that you go before us and watch over us, that you neither slumber nor sleep, that you take care of us. And we need not worry about the future, that indeed you are the sovereign God who reigns over all. And we continue to pray, Father, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you will, take your bulletins, and we'll sing now. Gloria Patria. Stands, we sing the glory patria, and as the ushers will come forward with the offering.
remain standing as we continue to worship together in your bulletin, Holy Forever.
You may be seated, and thank you so much again for everyone helping in the choir and musicians, and it's always a blessing as we prepare our hearts. And this morning, I hope that you have come prepared. You brought your scriptures with you. I'll be reading from someone had asked me the updated New American Standard. It's the version I enjoy studying from, and it's very similar to the ESV. And uh, But you have a Bible there in your pews. You can also follow along with as you need it. But we're in Mark chapter 9, and what a way to set the service when it comes to us talking about our faith and talking about what it means uh, to be children of the promise. And here in Mark chapter 9, we have the opportunity uh, to be challenged again about salvation. Now, I want you to know they're God's words, not mine. I try to be faithful each week in preaching the text. But it's amazing how God sometimes puts things together in our own lives. And we begin to sing about it, and we begin to pray about it, and we have opportunities to listen to it. Mark takes us here in chapter 9 as a summary, and I hope to share with you in a wonderful way the importance of what happens when our faith feels faltering. What do we do when we feel like we're hanging on for dear life? to what we've always thought was going to be and is no longer. Our faith is challenged. We find ourselves holding on for dear life. What is it that's going to be next? And we realize here in Mark chapter 9, the transition that Mark is giving us over from those with unbelief to those who are now beginning to follow and understand who he is, all transpires on this moment of this transfiguration and what Jesus reveals to us about himself and who he really is. And you must have that in your own life. You must have that personal revelation from Jesus Christ that he is who he claims to be to you. You cannot be saved in the promise of who Jesus is and what other people call him. You must have a personal relationship. You must rest safe and secure. And you must be one who has been touched and changed and resurrected to the new life in Christ. All that, believe it or not, comes to fruition in this story that many have taken in a way, and I'll challenge you in a bit, of all things made possible. We need to be careful with that. All of a sudden, Jesus is now descending down from the mountain. I'll read to you in Matthew or in Mark 9 here, chapter 14 in a minute. But let me give you the setting of the story as it unfolds, because as so many times, Mark makes reference back to Moses in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, and to Egypt. We find those same things here where all of a sudden we realize that when Moses descended from Mount Sinai, if you remember, he came down to confront idolatry. It was though he went to go get the experience, and when he came back, those that were without him fell into idolatry. Happened the same with Elijah. These are the people Mark uses in references to. Remember when Elijah came down from Horeb, he found the people with paganism with Ahab and Jezebel. And here Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration to find his disciples and people discussing in the Greek word, actually debating and arguing over the faith of the disciples and their ability to heal. It's almost as though when we get into the presence of God, we get this extra wonderful feeling. He takes us to the mountain. We have a chance to pray and to be strengthened in our faith. And then we return to normal life and realize that now we find ourselves what we thought was going to be so different, and we face the same situations over and over. 
And maybe this morning, as I set the context for you, you can say, you know, that's happened to me so many times. I read something and it just changed my understanding. It touched my heart. I watched a movie, believe it or not. I used to tease people. They cry. Ever cried at a movie before? How about if you ever cried at the same movie over again? As if it changed, right? But no, we cry sometimes at the same. We know when to cry. We start crying before the scene comes because we know when to cry. But maybe something touched your heart and you can't help it. It's the same in a relationship with somebody. It's the same when someone dies or when someone gets married or when someone graduates. We call them rites of passage. All through life we find ourselves confronted with the truths that we need change. And then we get back into the normal swing of things and realize it seems as though the world itself is so far from Christ. What good is it when we're frailing? Slowly finding an impotence to make change. Well, it was no different. Listen to what Mark says, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 9. And when they came back to the other disciples, that's down off the mountain, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, that's are you, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you disputing with them? Why? And one person from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And he answered them in disciples so that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation how long shall i be with you how long shall i put up with you bring him to me and they brought the boy to him and when he saw him the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth and he asked his father how long has this been happening to him and he said from childhood it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, that's a question rhetorical about what he was just asked. What do you mean, if I can? That's what he was saying. All things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked that unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out, throwing him in terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began asking him privately, why is it that we could not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. Man, what a challenge in a story. And you ask yourself, what is the importance of this? Is it just another healing? Is it just another situation? And all of a sudden we realize that the disciples and the people are needing something much more. 
They've been told all kinds of things. They've seen things before. They've heard. They've watched. They need something. Their faith is failing. They were just asked to do something that they were able to do in previous chapters when Jesus enabled them and gifted them. And now someone shows up with a scenario that summarizes, I'll show you in a minute, all that Satan has to throw at them. And they weren't able to do it. And the scribes jumped right on board. You can imagine how the scribes were. Oh, so you're the disciples of this guy who can do everything. Well, if you're so close to him, why can't you do it? I thought he empowered you. I thought you were able to do the things he told you. And the scribes could immediately begin to just go all over them. And that's this word that the Greek uses about disputing and arguing and debating. It was with the intentions of criticizing and ridiculing. The scribes were saying to the disciples in a nutshell, I guess you're not as good as you think you are. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And it's kind of a neat story because it picks up there and I want you to see the analogy that many times when we find ourselves off the mountaintop and back into the real world and things seem to begin losing control and things begin to get chaotic, it seems to be just the time Jesus shows up. It's just the time his Holy Spirit reaches to your heart and reminds you that I'm here. And as Jesus shows up, the same thing happens in reference to Moses. Do you remember when Moses came down off the mountain? It was only a reflection, but the reflection was such that the people were astounded. And that's this word that we get, this demonstration of ekthambeomai, this appearance of astonishment, amazement, because Jesus must have showed up and had some of this glowing left over from the transfiguration. It's the same word referenced. But more importantly, Jesus just showed up. And they were amazed because now they were in a situation that wasn't going well. The crowds were gathering, and now Jesus is there to handle it. So before I go on, I ask you this morning what is it in your life that seems to be tearing at you, torturing you, keeping your mind, your heart troubled? And you've tried just about everything and nothing seems to work. And maybe it's time you just let the Holy Spirit show up. And allow the same thing to happen in your life that you're going to see happens here. It's not just a story. It's not just a fable that was thrown into the scriptures. It's the word of God. It's an actual event. It's a historical setting in which Mark takes it to use it to say, look, look what Jesus did to them and how this applies to us. Listen to the importance in verse 14 and 15. He tells them, because Jesus' answer to them is this, he shows up for no other reason than to give a demonstration. A demonstration to the crowd, to the Father, to the scribes and the disciples. Let me show you what it really means to believe. When your faith is frail, let me demonstrate what can happen. And so he tells them the disciples were struggling to defend themselves in verse 14 and following. And as his appearance shows up even more so, when we need him most, he does this. And listen to what the scriptures begin to say when all has been exhausted and Jesus is there to bring the hope. He asks the questions, why are you disputing? Why are you arguing? And isn't it amazing that once again, no one that he was focusing on answers, but the man that was in the crowd that was there to get help from the disciples and didn't. When Jesus asks, what are you guys arguing about? It's the man that shows up and says, hey, look, now that you're here, I got a question for you. 
I have this son. It's an amazing story. You may not be able to put the details together, but Luke helps us out. You can go back and read in Luke on the different chapters to the different stories of the sons. And you know what's so amazing? Is that when Jesus shows up to demonstrate compassion and help, to help those whose faith is failing or frailing, if you wish, he uses an analogy that only the words could help you with. Isn't it amazing that if you go back and read in Luke, if you wish, we get the story that this father is the father of an only son. And he makes the same reference, if you wish, in chapter 7 when Luke says that it was the only son of the widow name. And we're also told later on that when the daughter of Jairus was raised, it was his only daughter. Isn't this amazing that the only son of God knows just how to deal with all these only children? And throughout scripture, we find that the one who was sent, which you'll understand in a moment, is responding with a compassion to those who need help and have not been able to find it. And maybe you, as an only, realize there is one who truly understands. There is one who truly knows what it means to care and to have compassion and to help. When no one else does, we are reminded here in the scriptures that when it seized him, imagine the presence of Jesus when it shows up, when all this boy is shown up and he presents this boy to Jesus. Listen to his condition. He is with the physical ailments of being thrashed and torn asunder and able to go. He is deaf and mute, and he has a demon. It's as if Satan has just now thrown everything Jesus has been overcoming into one person. Oh, I know you can heal the deaf, and I know you can heal the mute. I've seen you do that. And I know you can heal the lame. I know those with physical ailments you can heal. And I know those that have a demon you have casted out before. But now we get the picture of one who has them all as if the battle is raging again between Satan and the Son to see who's going to win. And at his wit's end, the Father simply says, your disciples couldn't even do this. And I bet Satan in those principalities and powers stood back chuckling, saying, what are you going to do now when I put them all in one? And maybe that's you. I can handle the death of one child, not two. I've been through one divorce. I don't know I could do two. I know I've lost one parent, but now I don't have either. My best friend, it was one time to be betraying me, but now another See, we find ourselves in those situations when all of a sudden, all of life is thrown at you and all of the bad seems to come at one time and everything that Satan has to throw at you throws it all in one circumstance and you find yourself in the same place as the disciples were feeling when they're like, wait a minute, what is wrong? I need some help here. I thought we could do this. It's then that the father runs to find help. It's there that he comes to the story and he comes to Jesus, this father of an only child. 
to the Savior who's an only child. And it only takes a few words. And all that Satan threw at him was overcome. All that Satan could muster and put together in one person to try to ruin and destroy their lives took only a few words from Jesus to say, come out of him and be done. And it was over. Don't think he can't do that in your life. And don't think Mark doesn't have a reference here. Don't think that the story doesn't have the implications to the disciples and those who are already asking back in the previous part of the chapter when Jesus said, you won't understand until someone is raised from the dead. And all of a sudden they were talking about the death and now they have a boy who's thrown to the ground as if he was what? Dead. It's as though Christ is demonstrating what it means to truly be right with Christ to be set free from all of Satan's tyranny, to be overcome with the ailments that the principalities and powers place on you, to be living in a world where there's all kinds of tragic mishaps in our appearances, the suffering that we see every day, the nonsense that goes on. And when Jesus shows up and speaks just a few words, it's over. Verse 19 They ask Jesus about it and listen to what Jesus says, disheartened. That's the best translation you could put in there. Jesus was disheartened with this unbelieving genao, genae, a generation. He wasn't just speaking to his disciples. Did you know this word is used in the New Testament for generations, genae, and it's never once specifically ever used for disciples. Jesus wasn't criticizing just the disciples. He included them in, but he was speaking to all these people. Listen to why Jesus is so disheartened. Because he's facing a father whose faith is so frail that he doesn't even trust in Christ's power. That's why he asks if you can. You'll look at the reference in a moment. He's frustrated, if you wish. He's disheartened with the crowd. Why? Because they've spent the entire time concerned about themselves rather than others. Look at the scribes who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. They're they're gloating over the inability of the disciples. And rather than encouraging and going forth and uplifting the God in which they claim to serve, they're tearing him apart. And lastly, look at the disciples who later on in the story are told the failure of all this is because they haven't been living in constant prayer that which connects us. Later on in Mark 11, I'll spoil it for you, he puts prayer and faith together. Jesus disheartened in a world of frailty and unbelief. All indications, the reason he is upset is because there's no enduring, vibrant faith And since the time of the temptation, if you remember in the wilderness, when Jesus faced Satan, he became the one that was the more powerful one. And the war has been waging and raging ever since. It's his mission now to destroy the strong man and to set the captives free. And Mark puts it all together in one. And it's not always a pretty sight. I think we're reminded quickly that in the times in which the man brings his son to Jesus, 
They brought the boy to him, and when they saw him, what did the Spirit do? It's amazing what the presence of Jesus does to evil. I'll tell you right now, if you're asking the Lord and you're in prayer right now to get help through a situation, the one thing Satan doesn't want you to do is get near Jesus. Paul wrote it very clearly when he said, bad company corrupts good morals. Because when things aren't going well and you're needing help, the last thing the world wants is for you to get closer to Jesus. Because in the presence of Jesus, things begin to fall apart in a world of unbelief. Just being in the presence of Jesus causes this spirit within this boy, this demon, to begin to act out and to begin to do the things he's always done since he was a child. The presence of Jesus alone, the Father brings this question to him when immediately this is happening and Jesus asks him, it's been going on since childhood and the father says this, listen folks, in verse 22, but if you can do anything, did you ever think about this? Obviously he had faith to begin with because why did he even come to the disciples? Jesus wasn't even there. He had to have at least enough faith that he would at least go to the disciples to look for help. And when the disciples couldn't do it, he began to get frustrated and lose hope. He began to get discouraged. He himself disheartened. Have you ever been amazed at how that works in our own lives? How people look at Christians and assume that if Jesus can do it, we ought to be able to do it? That if Jesus claims to be such a loving person, why aren't you so what? Loving. It's almost as when people look at the church, it's supposed to be a place full of people who don't what? Sin. That was an easy one, wasn't it? But it's amazing how we're linked together in a relationship with Christ. And the people were doing the same thing. Look, if Jesus could do this, you're his disciples. You're supposed to be the, the image of this, the reflection of this, the glory of this. I ask you, is that true? Can people come to you and expect to get from you what they would get from Jesus Christ? Are you a light to the world? Are you salt to the earth? Mark's putting it all out there for these disciples because they've been walking with him now for several years. Or do you just point the people to Jesus? Ultimately, we'll see it happen. Or do you care? All of a sudden, we realize this is no different. Contrast this story back to the story with the leper in the beginning of the book. And do you remember what happened? Their contrasts. The leper's story was not about whether Jesus could do it, but whether what? He would. And now the challenge isn't about whether he would, but whether or not he what? Could. We've been dealing now with the character of Jesus and the power of Jesus. What kind of belief is this? What kind of faith is this? What kind of faith is it when we call ourselves Christians, but we're living in a world of unbelief? That's where he's getting at with these disciples. He's demonstrating to them that this has gone on long enough. We just came down from the mountain. You've just seen the truth. And now we're down here disputing with the other nine who weren't with him, confused about everything that's going on. When the father asks him, Jesus turns the tables like he does so many times. The time that you sat there in your house and said to Jesus, I thought you loved me. I thought you said you cared for me. I thought you were going to work this out. I've served you faithfully. 
I've always done what was right. I've always given to you. Why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening to my children? The time that you've poured it out to the Lord because you felt like you deserved the right, that you have a faith and that you've been in church and you've done the right things and why is this now happening to you? And God turns the tables on you. It's exactly what he did to the father. The father shows up and he says, if you can... In Jesus, I believe in sarcasm through the Greek, he could do the same thing. What do you mean if I can? The problem's not with me, but with who? You. Listen to what he says. The problem is with your faith. It's unbelief. That's the problem. He cries out to them for this. This fail, imperfect faith is what is the problem. But we have to be careful as we look at this because even though the Father says this, help me. Help my unbelief. Listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, he's been throwing them around, but if you can, he says this, all things are possible for those who believe. Now, I'll be careful. I won't preach the whole sermon, but folks, be careful with the context of that because so many people today take that out of context. Is if you just have a little bit of faith, you can do anything you want. You can just speak it and it'll happen. You can just believe it and it'll come true. You can just plan it out and it'll work out because if you believe, it's all gonna be good. That's more of a new age concept than faith. That's more of a self-help mentality. Because even Jesus is realizing that what's most frustrating in all of this is that you can dispel all kinds of dis or, or demons and you can work with all kinds of disbelief. But what you can't do is evoke a faith just by believing it. Because we're told very specifically in scripture that faith is a gift from who? God. And it is a gift so that no man can what? Boast. So what he's getting at is this. You can't just simply wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to believe, so I'll just believe and be saved. That's not how it happens. It comes from God. He's the one that's in control. And Jesus is here looking to the man. Hey, listen, the problem is not here. It's with you. It's this unbelief. And it's not saying that you didn't have any faith at all. The unbelief is this sense of a, of a frailing or a failing faith. You're claiming to be a follower of Christ, but yet you're not really with me. You're claiming to be on my side, but you don't understand me. You're claiming to be my witness, but you don't show me. These are all the things that are coming to light. And he cries out and he simply says this, help my unbelief. He pours his heart out to the Father. He takes all of his insufficiency and places it in the sufficiency of Christ. Becomes very open to the Father. Completely reveals all that is necessary to be there. And uses this word in Greek. Two words for the word help. When you get to the wording that is in there, it's from the word boe and theo. It's for cry and run. It's the word that we get when we think about the one who has the ability to help and they hear the cry, they run. He simply says, help us. You can run to us. Hurry. And I would venture to say to you this morning, this only son of God has run to these only children. And he's run to you and me. And he hasn't just run down the street and run across the way, but he's left the portals of heaven and took the initiative to come all the way here to take on our humanity, our sin, 
so that he could help us. We love him because he what? First ran to us. This morning, your cry to the Father must be, please run to me. I need you. I need you. I need your help. If you would please come to me. And so maybe this morning your faith is the same, barely hanging on. You cry out to the Lord and he comes to you. And your life no different than the boy in order to be healed is going to go through a lot of chaos first. Isn't it amazing that Mark paints the picture that before Jesus ever brings the calm, he's in the storm. Before he ever brings the peace, he's in the waves. Before we ever get relaxation, we have to overcome the demons. You see, when you come to Jesus Christ, the first part is always the hardest because he has to clean out all that stuff you want to hold on to. In this case, he casts out the demon. In your case, I don't know what it needs to be, but you can't claim to be a follower of Christ and hold on to all the things that belong to Satan. It's going to get harder before it ever gets easier. But when you trust in Jesus, like the father must do, they looked at this boy and saw him fallen face down, probably kicked over as though he were dead. And if you trusted in the circumstances, you would think, what kind of help is that? I came to you to save my child, and he's dead. That's not what I asked for. And maybe you're wrestling with the same circumstances in your life because you're looking at the circumstances, not trusting in his promises and his words. Because if you wait just a few moments trusting in the words of God, he's not dead. He's simply at a place of peace that he's never had before. And he picks him up. And they just asked, what does it mean to be resurrected? What does it mean to be made live again? And he demonstrates what one looks like to be dead when they're controlled by Satan. And what it means to be set free and to be raised to life. Jesus must be crucified. That's what he told them. He must be crucified for us. He must be raised again to life. And so Paul also writes, we too must be crucified with Christ. We too must be buried with him in baptism and raised together to walk the glorious new life. Oh, this morning I would say to you, this isn't just a story about the father's only son. It's a demonstration to all of us where the power really comes from, what happens when our faith is frail, and the only change that's possible is when we cry out to the one who runs to us and changes us and gives us new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.
as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, to commune with you, that, Father, we do it with good intentions, with right intentions, that we're able, Lord, to follow you faithfully, knowing that we're trusting in your words and your promises, not the circumstances we're in. Lord, you tell us that you love us. You tell us that you forgive us. Help us to truly believe that, live that, and know that. Lord, our faith is sometimes failing, and it's frail. But Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. As we partake this morning, as we truly believe in the sacrament in which you give us, it's not just a symbol. It's for those of us who have faith to find assurance and to rest in the strength and to have our faith increased, to commune with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Your bulletins uh, this morning as we have our confession of faith. And just as what Jerry has, has preached to us about the faith uh, that we have in Christ and are represented here in these elements this morning. And as Bruce mentioned uh, last Sunday, the next few questions from the larger catechism uh, will deal with the sacraments, uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism. So let's uh, join as I ask the question and if you'll respond with the answer. Question 163, what are the parts of the sacrament? There are two parts of the sacrament. One is the eternal physical sign used according to Christ's own directions. The other is the internal spiritual grace signified by the external use. How many sacraments has Christ established in his church under the New Testament? Under the New Testament, Christ has established in the church only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And here this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I ask our servants if they would come to help pass out the elements this morning. If you're here visiting with us, let me remind you that what we have just shared is that we believe the Lord's Supper is for those who've made a profession of faith. The Lord's Supper are for those of us who are communing with the Father. The Lord's Supper does not save. There's nothing magical or mystical about it in the sense that it would change us. The Lord's Supper, we truly believe, is those of us who are taking of it and who are saved find the spiritual nourishment, the growth of grace, and the strengthening of our faith. So if you're not a Christian this morning, I ask that you would wholeheartedly take a time, think about it, pray about it, reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ, but let the tray pass. For we are also told that it would be better to let it pass than to eat and drink a judgment upon yourself into taking it and thinking that it saves you and then go on living as though you're saved and actually live a life of unbelief. Salvation only comes in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote it when he said to the Lord's Supper, for what I received from the Lord I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body broken for you as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so he broke the bread into the pieces and they shared it together. And as he did that, I ask that as we pass the elements, we're going to sing two stanzas to begin with. In your hymn book, you will see the two of them there. 
so that we can prep and also pass the elements. So please look in your bulletin as we pass it. We'll sing the first two together. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so as we pass the cup, 
here this morning. We ask that you will take one and please hold it until we can all take together. Let me read something before we sing together. Go ahead, you can pass out. But I want to read something from Hebrews. Christ did not enter the holy place made by hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enter the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundations of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is destined for people to die once, after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await. My prayer is that you are eagerly awaiting his return. As we pass the element, please sing together with me the third stanza in the blood of Christ. they finish passing it out, just spend some time praying.
as we gather, the question is always said, when we gather, how often do we sing? How often do we pray? How often do we tithe? How often do we come to give? And we are reminded that the same words are used as often as we do. Let's do this in remembrance of him. If you'll stand with me as we sing our last stanza of this and prepare for our closing us as we come together now as we close this service we thank you for ministering to us feeding us and increasing our faith that we might share together grow together and we look forward to the time we can say again as often as we meet we do it in remembrance of you in jesus name i pray amen as we sing our closing hymn join as we sing together hymn number 528 my faith looks up to thee
receive now the benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.